Hello everyone, I'm Kate Bullen-Casanova and welcome to episode two of the Future Feminist podcast. This week I chat with Hazel, also known as Mother of Snot, on her work as a blogger, a feminist parent and raising twin boys in Spain. It takes a village to raise a feminist child, so welcome to the village. Enjoy. So my name is Hazel, also known as Mother of Snot, and I have a blog and an Insta blog that go by the same name. Mother of Snot, and it's a feminist parenting blog, always from a from a perspective of, well, trying to be from a perspective of humor, as opposed to maybe clinical professional expertise. It's just a mom with some boys who is a feminist trying to raise them and talking about it, basically. I love that. Just a mom with some boys who is a feminist. Um, We were talking before we started recording about the difficulty of coming up with a definition for feminist parenting. Right. And, um, well, maybe if you just want to um, tell the listeners what you were saying to me about the difficulty of finding a definition. Yeah, just uh, tying it down to something really succinct that would would match what everyone is thinking, I've found to be maybe maybe impossible for me at the moment. It's all very new to me. My boys are are not yet three; they're two and a bit. Um, so I'm just figuring it out. And I've I like I like to read about feminist parenting and other other blogs and articles. And sometimes I read uh, a definition that they have, and I think, well, that sounds fabulous, but it doesn't necessarily sound like exactly what I'm doing. Um, then I think maybe the, if I look at what the outcome of it is, I'm, I'm trying to raise good humans and it comes down to, uh, understanding that everyone is equal and should be treated equally, understanding respect and understanding their own emotions and being able to connect to them and deal with them in a, in a healthy way. Um, and, uh, maybe that's my approach to feminist parenting uh, without an, an overall fabulous definition. Maybe I can come up with that at some point. Yeah, I, I really like the way that you say um, about focusing on that outcome of raising good humans because that's kind of the way I feel like I approach it as well as the outcome of raising feminists and what do I have to do to parent them to get that outcome. Exactly, yeah. Like I think yeah. we... We can't control who they're going to be or what choices they're going to make, but I feel like the only thing I can control is the guidance that I give them to help them to understand like, wow, there's a whole diverse uh, way of being a human being, of being a man, a woman, different colors, different sexualities. And if they see from the very beginning that that's all equal and valid and very interesting and, and everyone deserves to be treated equally, then they grow up and they can be like, super macho sporty dudes or they can be anything else and they know that all of those are good things to be and they don't have to worry about whether they're doing it right or or and also that they would respect other people and their choices for it so it's just yeah. kind of yeah yeah we can't control the outcome but i'm having the the effect i'm thinking of uh what do i want them to be when they grow up mm, what yeah. type of person them to be those values and oh. um it's interesting because when we we phrase it as raising good humans, and I really love the way that you say that, raising good humans, and, um, you know, believing that everybody is equal and all of those things that you just listed. And it just amazes me because I don't think I've ever met a parent that disagrees with that. 
So why, when perhaps we put the label in front of it of feminist parenting, it's um, all of a sudden it's like this wild, totally not mainstream thing and we're radicals or something, which obviously I'm very happy to be <laughs> considered a radical. I mean, what you know, if you say that you're a feminist parent, what kind of reactions have you got online or offline in your journey so far? Yeah, I think I totally agree with that, where it's a case of uh, people people agree and they don't know they agree um, because they think that, well, there's also that terrible misconception of feminism being man-hating, yeah, a kind of yeah. thing like and so I think I noticed one reaction, for example, we uh, because most of the books that you have, the characters are generally always male. If they're not specifically for some reason, it has to be a female. If they're just random characters, they're always male. And just to, to balance out what my boys are going to see out in the world, we always just change the pronouns to, to he to, to she. And it's just, you know, we're not saying everyone has to be a woman, but I just don't want them to think that the default human being is a male yeah. and they're going to see that in the world. So a little bit of balance. But I have had people react to tell me that that's so radical and, oh, you and your feminism. But I just think, but when they were all male, you didn't think that that was a radical thing either. And that was equally unbalanced. So, um, yeah, I think I think maybe we have ideals in our heads of we want kids to be good humans, but then these stereotypes, types that we have that are they're so rigid and they're so gendered that we don't even realize maybe that we're, we're putting them in place and I'm very feminist and I do things sometimes and I think oh gosh that was quite that was quite stereotypical um putting a stereotype on my kids and I, I reel it back in so uh, I think maybe it's a lot of the the ingrained unconscious uh, gender stereotypes that we have that people maybe think no that's just natural and that's normal um, and that's why they they think that maybe feminist parenting is something more radical because it's just a case of saying like, hey, maybe maybe girls like trucks, maybe boys yeah. like pink. Yeah, yeah. that change. It's interesting that changing the pronouns in books thing. <laughs> that's something that so many parents that I have spoke that I've connected through on Instagram say that they do. Right. And I love it. It's just like this maybe this little thing that we can do. That's like changing the balance a little bit or um, another thing that I've been really wanting to curate, for lack of a better word, curate in my children's lives is all of their health professionals that we might regularly see, like a doctor or a dentist, they're women. Oh, cool. Um, and that's just because that's I've, I would feel more comfortable having a female doctor or dentist. And I really like, I just really like the idea of them both growing up with their dentist being a woman and that being the default norm for them. Um, yeah. And again, it's not a, it, yeah, it's not like a super radical thing. I wouldn't definitely, I wouldn't not see a male dentist, but I just like the idea of their first dentist being a woman. So then they maybe think that dentists are women exactly yeah it's just it's representation yeah it? and there's there's loads of great books coming out at the moment like um uh what is it good night for rebel girls and things like that where it's like showing girls fabulous uh female mm, uh, role models but i want those books for my boys because Definitely. i want the boys to see like like i i'd hate the idea of them growing up and thinking 
oh, a woman pilot, surely she'll crash the plane. You know, that, that kind of concept that, that people yeah. have. Um, and so, and it's so limiting for people. I don't want my boys to be limited by that. So, by anything. so yeah, I, love yeah. The, I love the idea of just kind of consciously, it's not, it's not very radical. It's just consciously saying like, oh, and look, there's a woman who is a doctor and she's just doing it. So that's yeah. life. That's cool. I find this, um, this representation question so interesting because so I've got two children, um, a female and a male, Ellie and Rue. And um, at first, I was really, really nervous about having a male, Rupert, the second time around, because of all of these pressures on. Um, to be honest, I was worried I, that I would accidentally just raise an asshole. <laughs> that no matter what I did, that he would just turn out to um, not be an excellent human. Um, and actually, my best friend just said to me, just raise him exactly the same way as that you raise Ellie. Oh. And I was like, yeah. And now, actually, I'm really, really glad because even when they do get given maybe stereotypical girls' toys or boys' toys, they just share all their toys anyway. And oh. so they're both getting that kind of – they're both getting all the different types of toys. So coming from your perspective where you've got twin boys um how has that been with you know comments from family members or presents or um you know do you find that you just get a lot of trains <laughs> like <laughs> CR has it is a truck fest it's an absolute truck fest um but I do that's interesting you say having a girl and a boy because when when I was pregnant with the twins I didn't know we didn't we didn't find out the gender uh, or the sex rather and uh and I I was quite worried about having a boy and a girl because I knew that there would be this onslaught of I'd receive pink and blue and um and maybe I could dress them both in trousers but I couldn't dress them both in dresses uh, you know that kind of that kind of concept, and I was really worried about how I would raise them if they were different genders. So in some ways, it's quite a relief that they're you know obviously we'd be happy with whatever gender they were, but or sex they were, but uh, that they're they're both the same sex is is easier in a lot of ways uh, because there's no there's no differentiation. But yet it definitely we we have all trucks, all cars. Um, and I, I want to buy them things like a, a doll. And we've definitely seen them when we go to friends' houses. They love a buggy. Or I don't know what you might yeah. call it. A scooter. Oh, gosh, that is the thing. Um, so we, we, we just recently, um, you might have seen on my Instagram stories, we just recently had to buy a second dolly stroller because <laughs> they were just fighting over the one of them. They, they were just fighting over it too much. And so... <laughs> Now they have one each and they can walk down the street both pushing their dollies in their prams. And yeah. I love it. Yes, exactly. And it's, uh, weren't you saying it's the, the idea of like, what are we afraid that the boys are going to learn how to care for little babies and be, be loving A humans? Parent. Like, yeah. They need to grow up to be, well, most of them will grow up to be fathers. I'd like them to have those skills, you know. And then when you see a lot of people making fun of men for being the useless father, you know, doesn't know how to change a nappy, that sort of thing. Well, of course, because when they were little boys, we didn't give them the dolls and the buggies and, and all of those toys exactly. that they wanted when they were little. 
We so, uh, told them from a very young age that caretaking wasn't something that they were allowed to do. And then we're surprised when they grow up. And there's all those, um, you know, those memes of that's a picture of a baby and they've been sent to daycare in maybe an outfit that's just like completely ridiculous for daycare. Um, mm-hmm. And it says something like, daddy dressed me this morning. Yeah, I don't and like I just it. Look at, uh, yeah, I don't like it because I'm like, well... Oh, just, oh, dad dressed her this morning, like, because men are so inept, because we never allowed them to learn. Yep, yeah, I don't like it at all. And uh, I follow a very interesting group in the UK called Dadscom, and just groups of uh, dads who are bloggers or dads who are Instagrammers, and then some of them have a podcast, like Dad Club Podcast, and it's really cool where you see they're just groups of men coming together, talking about parenting and talking about issues and mental health and uh, you know, like the like, and all of the same things that mums would talk about, but from a dad's perspective. And I love that approach. I love the kind of like, yeah, we're equal. We want to be equal partners. But if you're out there making fun of the dads and telling the boys that they can't have dolls, then you're going to have to live with those repercussions. No, yeah, I think fifty. You know, equality is equality. So uh, I love that approach. And I, I never, I never go for those memes. The ones that are like, oh, mm, husbands are so stupid. <laughs> Yeah, it's not it's not Um, my not my dad not my friends I don't know men like that so so yeah yeah um so I wanted to ask have you um I really love the way that you write so um and I haven't asked you before so is that your trade like what what did you do for work before you had the boys I, I've had two careers uh, since before having the boys. So in a very past life, I was a teacher of children, uh, which, which I loved, yes, and teacher of languages, English. So I traveled around the world uh, living in, uh, in, in Asia and Europe, teaching English as a language. And then uh, for about the last 10 years, no, it's nothing to do with writing. I was working in a multinational, uh, very corporate. I was working with the board of executives of a huge multinational um, and nothing to do with that. But I think all my life I've always enjoyed writing. Um, And we were talking before about the the humor. I, I mean, it's uncomfortable talking about humor because I am trying to be humorous, but like trying to be funny, that's not cool, you know, so I don't know what, <laughs> if I if I hit it or not, but I suppose what I was saying was that I was raised in a very positive, loving, happy home where our approach to most things is uh, uh, an informal, humoristic approach, so it's my, it's a very real voice of mine where I'm just, uh, that's how I would discuss it if I was chatting to a friend. So that's how I'm trying to write it. Um, I hope and pray sometimes there's humor in it or at least a, an informality. Um, and yeah, and I would love to live by writing. That's definitely a dream, uh, which I'm working on, but uh, not, not quite there yet. Yeah, I love um, the way that you say that kind of the way that you would talk to a friend about whatever the issue is yeah um I think that definitely shines through and the informality and that kind of humor I think um listeners might have read the interview that I shared on the Future Feminist website of you a few weeks ago now and you said that you think that possibly that might be an Irish thing is growing up with the humor 
<laughs> um, and so you're not living in Ireland anymore. How did you end up in Spain? Ah, I was, when I was, uh, was teaching, I was living around the world. Spain, Barcelona was just another stop, actually. And I never had any plans to stay. But I don't know if you've ever been to Barcelona. It is a very difficult city to leave. Like, it's, <laughs> so many people arrive and they never leave. It's just, it's really, it's really easy to have a very good quality of life here. Um, and so, so I ended up staying for, for years. I've been here, I think for about 15 years and about seven years ago, I met the lovely, lovely Catalan man that became my husband. And, um, and yeah, now we're, 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 we're settling down here and, and looks like it's going to be it forever. Lovely. Um, and so what, what cultural differences would you say that you've noticed between Ireland as well? I mean, you've traveled extensively, so you've got to see a lot of different cultures and the way that they approach gender and gender stereotyping um, in terms of raising your kids in Spain, as opposed to maybe some people might have gone home to have children. What kinds of things have you noticed between Ireland and Spain that might would you say one's more progressive than the other or I think um, uh, I worry about comparing too much because I feel very integrated here I speak both languages I'm you know paid taxes I all the pay rent all the things that makes you part of a culture but I'm still a foreigner so so I definitely see differences but I, I wouldn't like to compare as in one's better than the other but one thing I definitely notice is that Ireland being part of a, an English-speaking international community, you know, with, with Australia, UK, United States, it's more, it's natural that we would have more influences that would make us a little bit more open. And here being part of a dictatorship until, I mean, it's in living memory, borders were closed. So it's normal. Um, I just want to set that up because I don't want to say one is better than the other. But I do notice things here like, uh, like, People have said to my my one-year-old as he's crying on my shoulder, they've kind of said, oh, I thought you were supposed to be a tough guy. What are you going to your mommy for? And things like that. And, and it's really difficult to, to listen to that and, and to not respond, especially when it's from loving family members. Yeah. Um, and is that in, do, so you speak, you live in Spanish now, you speak Spanish. So a lot of these comments will be coming at you in a foreign language as well. Exactly, Spanish and Catalan, because Barcelona is uh, Catalonia, so yeah, and my family would be Catalan, and they're coming in a foreign language, so it's very difficult to respond, because you have to be eloquent to respond, but to not, you know, hit that wrong word and hit a nerve, so uh, so sometimes I just kind of cringe and just, oh gosh, I do see in the, in the playground that there is a lot of um, uh, boys against girls, uh, or only groups I've seen it with it from childhood up to adult that it's groups of boys and groups of girls mm. um, but then again uh, I don't know what it's like in Ireland actually because I've never had kids in Ireland so yeah. it could be uh, but definitely that there there's uh, a slightly more macho machismo culture mm. here than there would be in Ireland and I suppose that has to influence the 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 raising children as well uh, Definitely. Yeah. Having said that, there's also so many great role models because if I think of my Catalan family, the women run that family. 
you know, there. It's a strong matriarchal element there. So, so there's a lot of positives and negatives, I think, on both sides. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, have you taken the boys back to Ireland much? A little bit. We'd like to go much more, but we've gone, I mean, there are two now. We've gone for both Christmases. We've done a summer holiday there. And it's not so far. So my family have been as well. So they've spent long, you know, chunks of time with cousins, uncles, uh, aunties, things like that. But God, I'd love to go much more. Yeah. yeah. Similar to you, my parents and my mother-in-law are both about a two and a bit hour flight away from us in Melbourne just because of the geographics of Australia. And then the rest of my family are back in the UK. And um, I wouldn't so much say that there's a massive cultural difference um, between here and there, but really something that I noticed um, when we went back to the UK last year with the kids was because you're not spending all the time with these family members, the kids didn't feel super comfortable maybe hugging or kissing a family member, even if it's grandma or great grandma. Um, And, you know, I didn't really know how to, I didn't really know how to deal with that because I want them to feel, um, you know, bodily autonomy and who they choose to Mm-hmm. hug and the situation how you dealt with it to maybe help me or listeners at home dealing with similar things yeah um i i agree as well and i think we because we we're in barcelona and also my my in-laws are about an hour away so we have the same with my parents and and his parents and uh it can it can be a tough one because they're such close family members and uh, it's difficult to say anything. I, I try to do the classic. It's nothing new. I try to offer uh, a high five or offer to blow a kiss or something like that. And I think that works better maybe with strangers or with their teachers in the nursery or something. But but with very close family, I really don't know what to say sometimes when they when they steal a kiss anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, and I kind of- it's that... Um- or that I'm going to tickle you and you know it's totally lighthearted and well-meaning, but it's like, oh, don't invade their personal space. And I think I think as well that there's a lesson in it because it, do you ever, I don't know if you have this figure in your family, like um, maybe it's a an uncle or an auntie who doesn't have kids and they're, they're not really comfortable with kids, so they don't tend to go in for the tickles and the kisses. And the yes. kids love that person. The kids they are all over always that. love that person. They always gravitate towards that person. Yeah, I've been thinking about that as well. Um, and it's, I think it must be, it must be like a, a safety thing. Like they just get vibes off people. They just mm. genuinely get vibes off people. Like, hmm, yeah, I like you, and you know. And sometimes then they decide that they don't like you, even though that they were they you were their favorite person yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> toddlers yeah (laughs) um yeah and I I really think that the the I see sometimes those tickling uh incidences they might happen because they're in they might interrupt a game that they were in the middle of so maybe it's not even the rejecting of that person it's just like ah I was in the middle of building a tower back off and then with that that you know standoffish auntie or uncle 
they know that that person isn't going to interrupt their games. It's almost like it's on their terms. And they're kind of like, I can go over and give you a cuddle and I can walk away and you won't force me to stay. And I think that it's, uh, I think it's, it's the kids are kind of telling us quite clearly what they want. And it's, it's really nice to see them being, they're not aware, but it's really nice to see them managing them, that themselves. Yeah, and, um, you know, figuring out, just figuring out themselves and their personalities and what they like and what they don't like. And it's wonderful to see it unfold. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I love, like, I mean, I am a very huggy person. and uh, My boys aren't the most huggy and, and squishy people, so I'm always asking them for a hug. And sometimes they do, and they're super sweet, and they lean in, and they, they pet my face. Sometimes they say no. I know, it's gorgeous. Sometimes they say no, and it breaks my heart, but uh, I, I have to respect it, you know, because I, I like the idea of them growing up and kind of thinking, like, no, I, I don't feel like hugging you right now. I don't have to. And, and just knowing that they're respected in that sense, I think it's cool. Definitely. All right, so for those of us that are avid followers of the Mother of Snot journey on Instagram, please <laughs> tell us how the Eco House is going and how, how the idea came about, I think, because I've wow. only been following you for a few months. So, Yeah, so we're building a, an eco-friendly wooden house. It's cross-laminated timber, which is a type of engineered timber. So it's, uh, it's really strong, really really fireproof because people are always worried about will it burn down and it's actually it's actually safer in a fire than a house made of steel and concrete um and it's going really well it's delayed as all houses will be so in that sense we're very uh, stereotypical but we hope to have the keys by about the the middle of december and so then we're going to try and move in over christmas we're trying to coordinate my parents coming to visit Christmas holidays, getting the keys, getting the all the gas and the water. Oh, we don't have gas. Electricity and water turned on. And so it's a, it's all a bit kind of like fingers crossed. Will it happen? We don't know. We don't know. Um, and how did it come about was, uh, to be honest, uh, I've definitely always been very eco um, aware and, and tried to live like that. But I never really thought I would be someone building an eco house. Um, and an interesting thing that I've learned from this is that if you can afford to buy a house, you can afford to build a house. Um, it's actually cheaper. It's just a lot more heartbreaking and time consuming. And if you can afford to build a house, you can afford to build an eco house. I thought they would be more expensive, but they're not. So, uh, so yeah, it's a lot more accessible than you might think. It happened to us because uh, a very dear friend of my husband's is actually a really talented architect who specializes in eco houses. And so uh, just from informal conversations, we weren't even planning to do any of this. And from informal conversations, suddenly here we are almost about to move into our eco-friendly wooden house. And that's kind of been our, our process. Wow. So it was meant, it was meant to be in some way. <laughs> I think so. I mean, everyone who knows me, when I say that's what we're doing, they say, of course, of course, you're building an eco-friendly wooden house. But I, I kind of thought that that was something that maybe more glamorous, wealthy people did. You know, um, I didn't think that the oh, average. It's interesting because that's not at all what I had in my mind. When I think eco house, I'm thinking of, you know, those grand designs episodes where they build their house themselves 
um, oh, wearing yeah. their Birkenstocks. And um, <laughs> although I am very guilty, I wear my Birkenstocks every day. Yeah. And they build it out of like old tires or, um, you know, used plastic bottles or something like that. So it's that kind of um, hippie stereotype. That's true. That's true. But don't don't you think the the Grand Designs people? I mean, I love that show. Um, and when I see them, even though they're building it out of like recycled tires, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, they still there's always kind of like, well, I had to give up my job to build the house. And you just think, who are these people who can give up their job? So definitely the element that I thought that uh, the people who have the luxury of being able to be that type of hippie. Um, it, I thought that was that was far more. Uh, um, they would be far richer than we certainly ever are. So yeah. from that element, I just thought like we can't we can't you know suddenly give up a job and and just be on site. So also we have to say a lot of people said to us, oh wow, you're moving out of the city. Are you going to have a swimming pool? And we're kind of saying like, listen, your the budget is still the budget. So it's a small home. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's still a humble project in itself. So maybe, maybe they're building on grand designs, really grand designs. Ours is like a medium design. <laughs> I like that. A medium design. Um, yeah. We're always talking about if one day we can build a house and I'm saying, you know, an eco house and my partner's like, yes, of course, of course, that would be you. Um, I do think that there's become this, um, intertwining of um, environmentalism and feminism and um, then you know it's this whole extra layer of how can you minimize waste with toddlers um, you know is that something apart from the house is that something that um, you might consider talking about on your blog sometime uh, something I will definitely be talking about on the blog sometime for sure because uh, well first of all you have to talk about things you know and your own life experience and like we're we're going to all this trouble of building an eco house and in, in this year that we've been building we're looking at our own lives and kind of saying we can't move into that house and continue to have single-use plastic and to not be efficient with water you know that doesn't make sense so we've been slowly but surely looking at our lifestyle and and making changes and making plans and with the toddlers definitely i mean i would have loved to have done um cloth diapers cloth nappies uh, it just didn't work out with with twins and i was very sick when they were born so it, it was a bit of a kind of like let's just get through this crisis um so i feel like we almost have to balance out all the all the waste that we've put into the the world with twin nappies because there's been a lot mm. um and so uh, we're definitely looking at, for example, uh, you know, we were talking before about presents from family members and yeah. the amount of toys you can have can really get out of control. So we're looking at, I'm just looking down at the toy box now, uh, we've already eliminated so much stuff, donated it or recycled it as much as we can. And we just want to look at uh, just having a small number of nice materials, uh, maybe from local suppliers, of, you know, those open kind of toys that can grow with the kids. Um, I think in that element, their toys is a is a huge one that we can try and reduce plastic with. Yeah, definitely. Um, I just listened to a really good podcast with Kate O'Sullivan and Lucy Lucraft. Um, mm -hmm. 
yeah, I can't remember if it was on Kate's podcast, which is Conversations from Our Days, or Lucy Lou Craft's podcast, which is what she said. So shout out to either one of those podcasts. <laughs> um, but they were talking about, um, you know, the zero waste movement and how it can seem so far away mm. and, um, you know, that your example of not being able to use cloth nappies and same here, we've not, you know, for a number of different reasons um, have not done that. Um, and it's sometimes it's kind of like this competition of who's more environmentally friendly or who's more of a feminist parent. Um, and definitely within the Instagram where, you know, the jars of the zero waste is just so photographable. <laughs> Um, and so I really like the way that Kate and Lucy were talking about this idea of accessible environmentalism and everybody doing what they can, doing their bit. Um, and the reason why I'm bringing that up is because f when we were talking um, pre-recording about your kind of tone and your approach and the way that you would talk about these issues is the way that you would talk about with a friend and that kind of thing. And that word, I just, it that word accessible keeps coming back up because I feel like it's not the clinical things that we were talking about. It's the, you know, this is, Hazel who's a mum and is a feminist and this is you know you're making feminist parenting accessible by what you do with your humour and everything and I find it really difficult to stay light-hearted about issues that I find so important and political issues and um, yeah I find it I actually find it really really difficult and it affects me a lot more than maybe it I don't know, maybe it should or could. Um, yeah, how how do you manage to stay so lighthearted and funny and um, and teach me, basically? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It, it definitely is just my natural approach. Uh, I When I wrote the, um, I have a, a recent blog post on toxic masculinity and I did so much reading for that that uh, I found it difficult to write because I had been reading all these scientific uh, articles and research and report that it kind of affected my writing and I started writing very seriously and it was all therefore and hence and things like that. And when I was reading it, I was saying, this doesn't even sound like me. Um, and so it was a diff it was a difficult one to wrestle out. I definitely think that's what comes out most naturally. And also I kind of think of, um, I, I really do secretly think that everybody is a feminist uh, because if you just believe that everyone should be treated equally, there you go. Um, but a lot of people in, in this day and age, they, they, it's such a dirty word that they, they, kind of, they kind of fight back against it. So I kind of think that like people like you and I who feel like this, we would go and search for a feminist, feminist parenting uh, article or blog or whatever. Um, so if it's kind of like preaching to the converted. And I think that I, I would really like to access people who maybe think they're not feminists or maybe have never thought about it. But maybe they, maybe they enjoy reading uh, an, uh, an article and then something in it makes them say, hey, you know what, maybe. And it, it starts them down a route. So it's almost like reaching out to the people who aren't already thinking about it. 
Uh, I thought about that from there's a there's an account I follow on Instagram. I don't know if you know her, Healthy Living for Hot Messes, who oh, is okay. She's cool. She's just uh, she's also just a mom, a very funny person who who does makes lots of memes, talks about parenting, etc. And also for her, she she has a personal relationship with mental health, and so every now and then she talks about mental health issues. Uh, and I don't think I would necessarily type into Google mental health issues. I mean, it's not something that affects me personally, so I wouldn't look for it. But she teaches me a lot about it, and you kind of see her perspective and you learn. And uh, I kind of. I kind of feel that's a very effective way to do something like, hey, we're, we're all having a nice conversation. We're all enjoying being here. No one's being attacked. And also, here's a perspective maybe you haven't thought of before. I think that's a good way to learn. Yeah, definitely. Um, so you mentioned your blog on toxic masculinity. And mm. so you, I checked. I saw on your website you actually published it nearly uh, a month ago and you have only just shared it on Instagram um and um if you would like to explain to the listeners at home maybe why there was that um hesitation around sharing this blog post I mean, it's 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 very unusual for me to do that. It was um, first of all, it was really difficult to write because I think that the words toxic masculinity, uh, people feel somehow it's an attack on masculinity, and so it's a you feel like it's already a controversial thing. And my whole point was that no, it's a celebration of all the different ways of being masculine, and the toxic part is just saying this one macho, muscular breadwinner, winner kind of guy. Um, that stereotype is actually bad for masculinity or, or limiting. Um, and it took me so long to share it because, uh, I, for example, I shared it with my friends and we read it and we've been in a back and forth, read this link, watch this TED Talk uh, debate about it um, since then. And, and they're people that I love and respect and I know to be very intelligent and, and well well informed. And so I've been thinking, gosh, did the, did the things I write, uh, are they correct? Uh, do I want to change what I've written? Um, and so it's been a, just a huge learning experience from, from my perspective as well. Uh, I kind of almost feel like I've, now I've shared it and it's out there. Um, and maybe in the future I might come back to it and say, hey, I wrote that and now I think this, you know, and it's all about, it's about learning and growing. But, but yeah, it was a difficult one to share because I think I feel maybe such a huge topic and I haven't covered everything maybe something yeah, like definitely but the response that you received on Instagram from your community um, I found I was reading through the comments and you know I really loved the blog post um, it seems like your mother of snot community has been very supportive of it has that <laughs> helped has that helped ease um, has that helped help to ease some of those nerves? I think it has. I think it has, especially because um, some of the people in my Instagram community would be um, like connections like with you, future feminists, feminist parenting, whereas other people might just be, uh, they're just parents or just people that I've connected with and they're not specifically thinking about these topics. And it was really interesting to see some of them come in and just say, you know, just be 
be supportive and be kind of like discussing it and seeing how it's exactly what I was hoping to do access communities that maybe weren't thinking about feminist parenting and bringing up the topics and it's been really great that uh, I mentioned in the post that it was specifically my friend Jerry who was disagreeing with me and uh, we were just <laughs> For my birthday weekend, he's one of my dearest friends, and I spent the whole weekend telling him that Instagram thinks he's wrong, and it's been great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I bet that Jerry just loved it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so shortly after you published your blog post on toxic masculinity, you also got another post out, which is five harmful things that boys hear every day. Mm -hmm. Um. And I was certainly reading through that post just going, yep, 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 yep. Um, this is things that I don't want my son to hear. Um, and I was wondering, you know, so did you say that your boys are two and a half? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, two and a half. So where did the idea for that pull? kind of come from um, and did you see it as a carry-on from the toxic masculinity in that kind of raising boys theme? Yeah I think so I think that I knew as a feminist when I was pregnant and having babies that there was going to be something feminist for them and then when they were born and they were boys I had like the briefest little flicker of a oh well you know, I won't be able to do that. And then I thought, what are you talking about? Boys need it even more. So I've been really, it's been like such a shock to see how um, I'm really aware of all the things, you know, girl power and girls can be do anything and be strong, etc. But seeing really the negative effects of sexism that boys suffer as well, it's kind of become my, my new thing now that I'm seeing I'm seeing how much, and uh, this recent blog post, The Five Harmful Things I Hear Every Day, is kind of focusing on their life as children. And the Toxic Masculinity post is talking about, like, this isn't frivolous, uh, silly stuff. I mean, men are, if you're born a boy, you're more likely to grow up and die by suicide, to grow up and be homeless, to be a drug addict, go to prison. But, like, there's, there's a big gender gap in health and happiness and success. And then there's this really gendered way that we're raising children. And who knows, nature, nurture, biology, society, which has a bigger influence. But we know that we're raising children in a very gendered way. And, and I think it has very real uh, repercussions for adults. So that's kind of where the idea of this one came from. It was like specific things that uh, I hear uh, every day from my boys uh, that I want to be aware of and to just, just to fight back against. Yeah, I would, um, in terms of the nature-nurture discussion, I would definitely recommend that you look into a book called, uh, it's called Inferior, and I can't remember, the, the name of the author escapes me now, but maybe I will put a link in the show notes. Um, and it's just a whole scientific, it's just, it's amazing. It's a whole book about nature-nurture, um, and I reread the early childhood chapter literally three times because it's all sorts of peer review studies about boys um, like predisposition to mechanical things or lack of predisposition or girls predisposition to um, to pink and faces and things like that. 
Yeah, mm. so I would definitely recommend that. I would definitely recommend that book. Um, I also, with that book, the, something that your five harmful things that they hear every day and the book have in common is I really like the way that you say for grow for the uh, one of the points you have grow a pair oh yeah which it, and I really like yeah um, and I really like the way that you so I'm just going to read a little bit from it it says when we say grow a pair, we're telling boys that their manhood is located in their genitals instead of their minds, their actions and their contribution to society. I won't tell my boys to grow a pair because I want them to understand that their courage is in their hearts and minds, not in the dangly kiwis between their legs. Yes. Um, and I <laughs> just loved that because I think also um, – I think it's it's um, in all of these discussions, it's really important to remember that we're saying boy and girl. Um, yeah. We mean male and female. We mean the way that they're socialised and that's obviously not always the way that they end up identifying. So mm -hmm. it's um, important to, um, to, to draw that distinction there, definitely. Um, and that's why this is, you know, speaking more broadly than just to boys about their anatomy as well. It's saying that you, I really, I, maybe you weren't intending to say this, but it's, um, you know, all kids of all genders, you know, you are not your anatomy. You are yeah. you, you are you first and you should not have any limitations placed on you. Yeah. Um, and which brings me to your next point, which was that's not for boys, mm. which is obviously rubbish because everything is for boys and everything is for girls. Everything is for everybody. Yeah, why wouldn't it be? I don't, I don't get it. And I've seen, um, uh, I don't know if it's by coincidence or maybe it's what the algorithm is sending me on Instagram, but this last week there's been, I think, didn't you have a post about Rupert with his buggy and a lady at, yes. the, at the bus stop? And a uh, lady at the bus stop saying, oh, since when do boys play with buggies? Oh, my God. <gasps> and I've seen, I've seen maybe three or four posts from that, some from dads as well, kind of people. There was a boy on his sister's bike and a man shouted at him, oh, is his blue bike being repaired then? Which is just the, it's just a wild thing that people are so triggered by seeing a, a child with something that seems from the other gender, especially a boy with a girl's thing inverted commas or, um that they're so triggered that they have to say something like it's 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 really wild and like you said you had to buy another buggy because it was such a popular thing for your two kids yeah that they he love loves it much. and he just absolutely if, loves it if they, if they love something and if you can then you want to give it to them uh, but oh but if it's pink not for the boys and and we see a lot of as well um you know girls taking on batman costumes and it's like yeah cool you know go go for it and and i really just think it should be the same for boys because maybe that little boy is going to grow up to be a boy who wants to wear dresses um it could be like it, what whatever type of of sexuality or gender identity you, you know why are we telling them that one specific way is the only right way to do it it just doesn't make any sense to me definitely um, 
So we've just mentioned two of your brilliant blog blog posts. That's the tox toxic masculinity and the five harmful things that boys hear every day. Um, for people that would like to find more of your work, um, can you please tell everybody where they can find you? I can, of course, happy to do so. I have uh, the blog, is WordPress blog, and it's motherofsnot.com. And on Instagram as well, it's motherofsnot. Um, I will be branching out into other social media, but at the moment, it's pretty much just that. And I'm on Instagram every day. Uh, I won't shut up on Instagram, actually. I have to try and limit it. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, maybe every every two weeks or so, there's a new blog on the motherofsnot.com blog post, no blogspot. So that's where I am. Come join me, please. Come chat. I love to chat. Definitely. We will be there. Thank you so much for joining me, Hazel. And we we will see you on Instagram. Yes, see you there. Very nice. Very exciting. Thank you for having me. This has been such a cool experience. You can find Hazel on Instagram at Mother of Snot and me at Future Feminists. Please do jump over on Instagram and join us in the conversation. Do you have any questions about anything we talked yeah. about? And until next yeah. time, yeah, the next episode of the podcast will be in two weeks, Rupert. Mm -hmm. So see you then. <laughs>